Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, phobia, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to guide it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. You may be seated. Allow me to pass on greetings from Apostle Arkady, all those people who are part of the narrow gate, and possess the status of the Bride of the Lamb, the Chosen by God remnant. And this greeting will be in the form of the message that we together will be reading and studying today. Luke 24, 44. And Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. So that we as the participants of the body of Christ would share together with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in Scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit, who reveals the truth in the heart, what we need to do from our side, that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life, so that we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. A familiar place of scripture to us, Ephesians 4, 22-24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful lusts, to be made new by the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new self, created by God, in true righteousness and holiness. And to fulfill this decreeing commandment, we need to put three destiny-impacting, commanding, and fundamental acts into practice, and these are put off, be renewed, and put on. Fulfilling these three destiny-impacting, commanding, and fundamental requirements will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or more specifically, will our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a seed, identifying the deposit of our justification in the given to us salvation, 
where we need to turn the three above-mentioned acts into profit within the death of our Lord Jesus so that our salvation can become our possession in the form of the fruit of righteousness. Otherwise, we will forever lose the justification that is given to us in the format of a deposit, which is why then our names will that were written into the book of life when we made a covenant with God in the format of the given to us guarantee will forever be blotted out of the book of life. <clears throat> again and again we need to remember that this is a commanding order to be perfect. We are ordered, we are commanded to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And if there is such a call, such a command, God always gives a commandment and an explanation of how to be perfect as He is these are beautiful words, and the preachers that of, of churches we used to attend uh, in the past have spoken about this, to be perfect as the Heavenly Father's perfect brothers and sisters, but how? And so there are three things you need to do, put off, be renewed, and put on. And what is interesting is that these three verbs, apostle, Paul and Apostle Arkady, in our case, also, these are fundamental and commanding and destiny-impacting. These promises have our commandments put off, be renewed, and put on. They are fundamental. They are within the base of the teaching, and you can you can find it from the start of Genesis to the end of Revelations. This is a fundamental requirement at the foundation and it is, again, existent, present from the start of the Bible to its end. And it's not offered as an alternative, but as a command, and it is de- destiny impacting. It, there is a destiny for us, and all commands that don't have the de- our destiny in it is not God's command. The scriptures say, honor your father and mother. This is a command with a promise. You will live a long time and you will be blessed. But if you will speak evil against your father and mother, you will die. And so, what is a command of God? It has a promise. It has something speaking of the future. But when a brotherly council or religious uh, maybe groupings uh, that make up different instructions, different kinds of commands, uh, and create them, from their intellect, and you ask the question, uh, this command, does it include my destiny? What reward will I have if I follow it? Honor your father and mother, that means I will live a long time and I will be blessed on earth. Bonus says, uh, dress like this, wear this, don't wear this, jump, don't jump, these aren't commandments. And so let us remember and note again that this promise at the door of our hope. It is a command to put off, be renewed, and put on. It is fundamental. It's at the foundation. It is not an alternative. It is a command, <clears throat> and it is destiny impacting. It has our destiny. These three verbs, it closes us into the resurrection of Christ, and we will be able to save our mortal souls and adopt, as our apostle says, our mortal body. In a specific format, we already looked at the process contained in the first two requirements, and this is put off and be renewed, and stop to study the process of the third requirements, and specifically what conditions we need to fulfill 
so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person, who is created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. Relevant to this, we stop to study the allegory contained in the 18th Psalm of David where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon or God Most High. And this condition consists in us calling upon the Most High as to our God. When we are casting off our old man, we call upon the Most High as to our God <clears throat> and we proclaim the faith of our heart. When we're in this circumstance uh, of difficulty and we proclaim who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who we are to God in Jesus Christ, and what do we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We note that the given allegory is one of the most powerful and voluminous examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and the name of God Most High and their violent conflict with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and also with governing sin, who is our old person with his deeds. In its character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see demonstrated an example of the character of our legitimate prayer belonging to us as kings, priests, and prophets. And so in this psalm that we are studying as three parts, and in these three parts that, of course, our Apostle Arkady has seen, found, we see the essence of the altar, the motive of our heart, then the offering itself, specific words of confession, and then the offering of itself, or how to bring it. First part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer, which is the required basis for the legitimate status of his prayer, belonging to kings, priests, and prophets. So this is the altar. Second part opens the consistency of legitimate prayer itself, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis to deliver us in the image of David from the hands of all of our enemies. And so the consist consistency of legitimate prayer, we pray the words, and this is an offering before God, the offering of praise of our mouth. And the third part illustrates the prayer battle itself in an epic way, which is beyond the limitations of the typical human mind of man. And this is the epic battle. This is offering of this sacrifice upon the altar that we bring before God. In a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High. Getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David, consisting of the eight names of God, allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so that he can be saved from his enemies. And God getting to know and confessing the truth that opens the power of his names within the heart of David provided God with the legit basis to use the power contained in the capabilities of his names in battle against the enemies of David. And so, why did we need to study these names so that we can utilize them in prayer and we use God's names so that with these names we can overcome the so with these names we can lift God up and allow him together with us together with us in prayer and prayer battle 
to battle together with us against our mutual enemies that are the old man also the wicked and lawless people who are in the body of Christ and of course against all of the powers of darkness that we have the right to step upon when they are here on earth and are within our territory or boundaries the the remaining or the rest the scriptures or the pastor says our pastor says pray that uh, deliver us from the evil one these are those that are not those on earth and not within our territory may the Lord keep us from such enemies but those who appear they <clears throat> they typically send their those that are in the likeness and these we can rebuke and these we can step upon if they're upon our territory but the others we say Lord protect us and deliver us from the evil one even the Son of God prayed these words and so we also must pray <clears throat> understanding the importance we must end the responsibility before God to fulfill our calling within our own boundary <clears throat> Psalm 18 1-4 I love you Lord my strength the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. And so let us together now proclaim these eight names of God. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock in whom I take refuge. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear our confessions. May he confirm them within our heart. And may he make us worthy of these names so that we can grow all of these all of these characteristics that are inherent to God uh, grow them in the fruits of our spirit as much as the Lord has allowed and according to the measure of our faith we already looked at our inherited lot in Jesus Christ in the power of six names of God which are strength rock fortress deliverer living rock and living shield and turned our attention to the study of our inherited lot in Jesus Christ studying the virtue of God's name the horn of our salvation <clears throat> getting to know the eight names of God identifying God's covenant with us is both a strategic as well as a tactical teaching which is called to be the calling of every warrior in prayer where they are called to clothe themselves into the mantle as well as holy garments of kings priests and prophets anointed by the Holy Spirit to rule over their earthly body and so every one of us so that we have the anointing of a priest uh, prophet and king over our bodies he places people in the church and he places these people in his in in the in the country within the country as prophets and priests he puts in the church and we need to have these anointing 
this anointing within the boundaries of our body, anointing of king of a king, priest, and prophet. And if a person born from God, <clears throat> and so this anointing is something that the children of God have, and if a person born from God has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over their calling in the form of, of their mortal body in the status of kings, priests, and prophets so that they can change it into the virtue of a heavenly body, and so the mortal body without anointing, the anointing of a king, priest, and prophet will never transform us into a heavenly body. The stronghold of life, in other words, will never be able to be established. Then the revelation about God in his glorious name, Horn, purposed for worshiping God in spirit and in truth, will not benefit him in any way, because he, due to his stiff neck, has refused the given to him by God calling, first to save his soul, so that by the means of then of this saved soul, he can then adopt his body by the truth con- that is contained in the redemption of Christ. And so the anointing of a king, priest, and prophet, it helps us save our soul, allows our spirit to save our soul, and then by the means of our saved soul, we begin the process of adopting our body. Therefore, the quality and lexicon which we have been studying, identifying the name of God contained or containing the function of the horn of our salvation, as with the previous names of God Most High, cannot be found in any dictionaries of the world. Considering the fact that in Scripture the symbol of the name of God horn, presenting the symbol and standard of His might, which contains the eternal, non-diminishing potential of the non-exhaustive and countless abilities and powers of God with which he created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, including mankind, and with which he keeps and watches over the world for judgment at the great white throne. I will remind us of a brief list of characteristics which identified the virtue of God in his name Horn found in Scripture. The mighty power and authority of God in his glorious name Horn is first the sacral work that is being done in the temple of our body. It is the non-diminishing, unsearchable nature of the power of God and His strength. The rock of salvation, or the horn of salvation, is the eternal and unquestionable power of God over the living and dead. The horn of salvation is the power of the might of God to keep those that are condemned to death. The horn of salvation is the power of the might of God showing that death is unavoidable. This is the power of the might of God to perform judgment and righteousness by his servants and the power of the might of God to demonstrate his wrath over the vessels of wrath and his mercy over the vessels of mercy. The horn of salvation is the power of the might of God to sow and gather what was sown. The horn of salvation is the power of the might of God to split and separate, the power of the might of God to destroy and to construct, the power of God uh, to restore what is destroyed the power of the might of God to blot out the sins of his nation, the power of the might of God to perform signs and miracles, and the power of the might of God to blot out the names of sinners from the book of life. We need to consider it that the list of the mighty works of God in his glorious name, Horn, uh, concealed in the non-diminishing, non-exhaustive, and unsearchable works of God accomplished by him using the mouth of his holy men that are led by the Holy Spirit, who have paid the required price for the absolute and sought-after dependence upon the Holy Spirit. The functions that are contained 
in the power of the name of God Horn, as all of the previous names of God first make themselves known in the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God that are imprinted and abide within our heart and consist in the covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and covenant of peace that are made between us and God in the baptism of water, Holy Spirit, and fire. In Scripture, the name of God in the functioning meaning horn is used as a symbol of might and strength, which is military weaponry or armor for those who have the rank of warriors in prayer. And as warriors in prayer, <coughs> we are called to clothe ourselves into the given functions of might so that we can successfully resist the organized powers of darkness who resist us or get in our way of fulfilling the will of God, both within our body as well as out of our body. As it is written, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Ephesians 6.10 Here, in the book of Ephesians, we see how the Apostle mentions the name horn of salvation when he says be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might the horn of salvation demonstrate this demonstrates the might and the strength of God in scripture the symbol of the horn of an animal that grows from him symbolizes one of the unique names of God that in the form of the preach to a seed of the word about the kingdom of heaven within our body contains the eternal, non-diminishing, and unsearchable potential of the might of God in His name, Horn. It is necessary for us to study under what circumstances and fulfilling what conditions are we called to collaborate our faith with the name of God, Horn, to destroy within our body the stronghold of death and in its place erect the stronghold of eternal life, identifying the kingdom of heaven within our body. And so, God's name, Horn, is called to destroy the stronghold of death within our mortal body, and in its place erect the stronghold of eternal life. It is necessary for us to collaborate with this prayer, or with this name, since we have accepted the promise that, bel uh, that belongs to the door of our hope. And to study this great and good goal, being the greatest and unchanging will of God in the form of our first most or primary purpose and our primary calling, it is necessary for us to answer four classical questions. <clears throat> First, in what works, signs, and symbols do we see demonstrated the characteristics and qualities that the scriptures ascribe the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of His name, Horn? Second, what functions in our relationship with God are the qualities contained in the name of God, Horn, called to fulfill? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can provide God with legitimate grounds upon which to show Himself in the accomplishment of our salvation in the function of the name of God, Horn? And fourth, by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether God abides within our heart in the function of His name, Horn, and that we are clothed into the virtue of His name, Horn? In a specific format, we already studied with our pastor the first question and in the in aid of its components and stop to study question two what functions in our relationship with God are the qualities contained in the name of God horn called to fulfill I will remind us that the mighty power of God consisting in the power of the blood of the cross of Christ in the various functions of his name horn 
received by us and abiding within our good heart, has multiple meanings, is multifaceted and multifunctional. <clears throat> because the functions of the mighty power of God consisted in His name Horn are called to make themselves known in the temple of our body in the destructive and creative power of blood of the cross of Christ, together with the anointing power of pure oil, which demonstrates itself in the breath of our mouth, clothed into the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets, our mouth is called to blow into the horn of jubilee, the sound of which signifies the start of all the feasts of the Lord and the beginning and end of the waging of the wars of the Lord. And so the name of God, Horn, includes the destructive and the creative power of the blood of the cross of Christ. And so when is it demonstrated, this destructive and creative power? When, this is when we are able to sound the uh, Horn of Jubilee, all the potential and power in the blood of the Lamb, the destructive for the powers of darkness, for hell, and creative for the kingdom of light, kingdom of heaven, can be, will work if this blood is together with this horn of jubilee or we correctly or appropriately use the name of God horn in our, in our confessions. If we are not utilizing the name of God horn, then the power of the blood of the cross of Christ is not able to be destructive and creative within us. Let us look at the first function. Let's just go through it shortly and then we'll study the next one. The first function in the purpose of the mighty power of God within our heart in the virtue of the name of God horn, we have been studying in the four horns of the bronze altar called to cleanse us from inherited sin by the means of applying the blood of the cross of Christ upon the horns of the bronze altar so that we can receive the legitimate right to dedicate ourselves to the Lord as His priests. And so where do we find this horn? Our pastor shows us the first time we find this horn is the altar of burnt offering, which was out in the courtyard. This was the bronze altar, had four horns, and it needed to be sprinkled with with blood <clears throat> and it needed to be done by using the finger of a priest and so the horn of salvation you say Lord you are the horn of my salvation and so this speaks of your dedication your complete dedication that accompanies then uh, and so sanctification to then dedicate yourself so definitely it needs to be it needs to follow sanctification where you sanctify yourself then dedicate yourself <clears throat> and this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests take one young bull and two rams without blemish you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting you shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. Exodus 29, 1 through, 1 through 12. We've especially noted that the collaboration of the mighty power of God in, the, in His name Horn is only possible when we leave spiritual infancy in the form of our nation, the house of our Father, and our life in the flesh so that we can build ourselves into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood with all of its accessories. And so the first function 
of the mighty power of God's name Horn is in our dedication. We, when Aaron and his sons were being dedicated as priests, then it was necessary to do all the work at the bronze altar. This is the dedication part. And then the second part, the second step that our Apostle Arkady explains, uh, how do you confirm your dedication and not lose it? And so then the next step will be the golden altar. And today we'll be talking about this golden altar. How do you confirm your kingdom? How do you confirm your dedication? How do you confirm your salvation? Second function in the purpose of the mighty power of God within our heart in the virtue of the name of God horn is called to lead us into the holy place to the four horns of the golden altar of incense so that we can apply the cleansing blood of the sacrifice upon these horns using the blood of the offering made on the bronze altar so that we can confirm our dedication to the Lord in the form of a ruling priest. And so at the golden altar of incense, where this incense is brought, the sweet aroma, we confirm our dedication. We first uh, dedicated ourselves at the bronze altar. This is where we brought a sacrifice. This is where... uh, And so all this was done again uh, at the bronze altar. And the golden altar was not yet accessible or approachable. At the golden altar, you only use the blood of the lamb and then also the fragrant spices for the aroma. The scriptures say very interestingly that when Christ returns for the second time, he, he won't return to eliminate sins. He will come for those who are kept in salvation. The second time he appears, he will appear for those who are at the golden altar of incense, those that confirm their dedication. This is a very important element where Christ wants to see us. He wants to see us at this golden altar of incense. We conclude that the might of the four horns of the golden altar of incense was placed in direct dependence of the might of the four horns of the bronze altar. And so it was not possible to approach or go to the golden altar ignoring the bronze altar. And you can't confirm your dedication if you don't know yet how to even dedicate yourself. When you dedicate yourself correctly, then the Lord will allow us to confirm our dedication to Him. Because every time the cleansing blood of the sacrifice is applied upon the horns of the bronze altar, the act of which we receive the ability then to judge ourselves in accordance to the elementary teaching of Christ, then in essence the act was the foundation necessary for entering before the face of the Lord to then apply the cleansing blood of the sacrifice upon the horns of the golden altar of incense. First, the act of applying the cleansing blood of the sacrifice upon the horns of the golden altar of incense, having been first applied upon the horns of the bronze altar, we demonstrate before God's face the dependence of our renewed mind from the revelations of the Holy Spirit contained within our heart, which is testimony of us being led by the Holy Spirit. And so entering into the holy place is being led by the Holy Spirit, where we demonstrate our dependence 
the dependence of our mind upon the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the preached word, the teaching. And so you ask, how do I determine that I've passed over from the bronze altar to the golden one? Our mind will depend upon the revelations of the Holy Spirit. If we have not placed our mind in dependence of the preached word, then we are still at the bronze altar or likely even maybe have not even approached the bronze altar. That's the first part, to be dependent upon the revelations of the Holy Spirit. That means we have passed from the bronze altar to the golden altar. We're dependent on the revelations of the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Holy Spirit, and we enter into the holy place. And second, applying the cleansing blood of the sacrifice upon the horns of the golden altar of incense, we demonstrate before God's face the anointed authority of our King, that is our renewed mind, over the emotional sphere of our soul. And so the second component of applying the cleansing blood that we have control or we rule over our emotional sphere, our emotional sphere of our soul. And so how can you examine yourself as to whether you've passed from the bronze to the golden altar? This happens, this is examined. Uh, We come in from the outer courtyard into the actual place uh, near the veil. And so... Of course, many of these things are difficult to just maybe comprehend directly, but this is signifying the the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so, Pastor has noted two things. Uh, Pastor has noted that, first, we, our mind will depend upon the revelation of the Holy Spirit that is presented to us in the preached words Uh, from someone who is a messenger of God, a father of God, which we are right now receiving. And the second is to demonstrate our dependence, the dependence of our emotions from our renewed mind. First, our mind depends upon the renewed, uh, the information and my emotions depend on my renewed mind. And so what is, what our relationship, the two, the relationship of those two are. And so how my mind uh, regards the truth and then how my emotions regard my renewed mind. And so you can determine whether a person is led by the Holy Spirit or whether they've passed from the bronze altar to the golden altar and these are the ways that we can determine this. Let us look at the purpose of the cleansing blood of the sacrifice applied upon the the horns. And so if we placed our mind independent on the relations of the Holy Spirit that are presented to us in the form of teaching, and we don't base anything on our emotions. First, purpose of the cleansing blood of the sacrifice applied upon the horns of the golden altar of incense consisted in performing cleansing once a year over the horns of the golden altar using the cleansing blood of the sacrifice for sin and also to burn sweet incense upon it every morning and every evening. And so they would approach the golden altar once a year to then apply the blood upon the four horns and to burn the sweet incense it was necessary to do every morning and every evening. And so you have to remember this year that it's referring to is something we need to continuously live in. This is symbolic. Let us read this place. Exodus 30, 6 through 10. 
And you, Aaron, shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony. It's talking about the sweet uh, spices that were then uh, burned and it, it came up to the Lord as in a cloud, a fragrant cloud. Uh, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps and he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And so to wait for him in salvation, where it refers to this statement or this place, it's referring to us being already at the golden altar. You shall not offer strange incense on it or or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon it, upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Symbolically, cleansing with the blood of the sacrifice over the horns of the golden altar once a year indicates the year of the redeemed. You see, Apostle Arkady, it's interesting. It's not just once a year, but we need to live in the year of the redeemed every day. And so, again, symbolically cleansing with the blood of the sacrifice over the horns of the golden altar once a year indicates the year of the redeemed, which presented the time of the grace of God where the veil of the law separating the holy place from the holy of holies in the form of the broken for us body of Christ was torn in two, as it is written, Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the white in the wine press? I have trodden the wine press alone, and from the people no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. Isaiah 63, 1-4. And so the year of the redeemed is linked to the vengeance. And so people living who collaborate with the name of God Horn at the bronze altar, such truth will scare a person that what we're reading about right now, the revelations, they are presented by the apostle when a person is already at the golden altar of incense and keeps himself in salvation. For him, the year of the redeemed is to say, Lord, the day of vengeances in your heart made the year of the redeemed uh, come and we are in that year, year of the redeemed if the veil in the temple of our body in the form of the body of Christ is torn in two then this means that we by the body of Christ died through the law for the law and in this way have built ourselves into Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus into a golden altar of incense which has given us the legitimate right to continuously be before the face of the Lord and listen to the revelations of the Holy Spirit abiding within our good heart in the form of the Lord and Master of our life. And so it turns out that to collaborate with the name of God Horn, as it is written here and we've noted, we need to, it is necessary that the veil be torn in two. And so when Christ was on the Golgotha cross, uh, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom 
the service of condemnation was finished. Why? Because the Lord has made way or access to the golden altar of incense. How does this happen within our essence? Also through the Golgotha cross. Also being crucified with Christ when we die in the death of the Lord and what happened on on Golgotha needs to happen in the temple of our body. It turns out in our body we have this veil that separates the law of God from the grace of God. There's a veil between the two and we are under the guard of the law. And so this veil needs to be torn in two. And how do you determine if it's torn in two when we die through the law for the law? And in this way, this veil is torn in two. And we can show in the Bible where this uh, veil is. Here's this uh, new covenant. It is smaller. And there's a small sheet uh, between the two testaments, the old and new. That's what this faith faith teaching and this uh, sheet is the one that determines whether our eternal life. And so this clean sheet means that we died through the law for the law. To die for the law, through the law, we need the entire Bible to become not just the Old Testament or the New Testament. It needs to become the Book of Life, united, one. The Book of Life is when this sheet, I died for the law, through the law to die for the law through the law. This is our Golgotha. We need to receive the New Testament. It is linked to our new person and it is has nothing to do with our soul or our body. We still have our sinful thoughts. We, we, we age, we become sick. Why? Lord, I'm your child. You bore me from above. And so the Lord makes a covenant with us But look how much is against you in the Old Testament. This is against your body. In you is the old man. And the old law, it discovers this old man. If you want to possess eternal life upon this sheet, it needs to be written, I through the law died for the law. But to die for the law through the law, you need to say, Lord, I am unfortunate who will deliver me from from this mortal body. The good I want to do, but evil is in me. And so when I do want to do good, but I do evil, it is no longer I who does this, but the sin that lives in me. As soon as we separate ourselves from the old man saying, Lord, I desire to do good. I serve the law of God, but my body is still serving the law of sin. And so you say, Lord, help me. And so we through the law, die for the law. And so, the Old Testament is, the Old Testament uh, is not called to kill us. It will kill us if we don't, uh, it is to kill the old man. The Old Testament is is given so that it can kill the old man and us together if we don't die for old man, if we don't rid ourselves of him. And so, the scriptures say, if I do the things I don't want to do, then it's the old man. And so you have identified where it's you and where it's not you. And so we then, with the holy law, die for this old law. When we take the sword of Goliath, 
and take a, in our hands and chop Goliath's head off. And so a carnal person is afraid of the Old Testament. And so the old man is again, the Old Testament is again against the old man. And And so by relying upon our old man, you have then the right to to hell. But the Lord says, please understand the significance of the sheep between the two testaments. Die through the law for the law. And while it's here, we have the old law and it discovers sin within us, the old man within us. This needs to become one, but this will happen when, again, we die through the law for the law. Like Mary, she she found favor in God's sight. And so you may ask, how did Christ not have a genetic line? Uh, well, Mary, she obtained favor from God. Mary died through the law for the law. She killed the genetic line within herself and obtained God's favor. She became in God's likeness. And becoming in God's likeness, the angel came to her and said, you have obtained favor in God's sight. And so you will bear a son and he will be a son of God. And she said, how will I know? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Almighty and so the Urim and the Thummim will come upon you, and what will be born of you will be holy, and will be called Son of God. How do we bear our Methuselah? <coughs> it is necessary for the Holy Spirit as the thumb, as as the Urim to find its, plain, its place in us. And so the Thummim needs to be present in us, the Word and the Holy Spirit will be in us to then reveal this truth, and that's how we're able to bear our Methuselah. Because we're continuing forward, because being anointed by the Holy Spirit as kings and priests of God, we receive the legitimate foundation by the power of the blood of the cross of Christ to be delivered from the power of Edom that we read about, <coughs> representing our soul and be led into the ex- acceptable year of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. Here also it is referring to vengeance, to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so, again, collaborating, are we collaborating with the functions of the name of God, horn, the horn of our salvation? First function is at the golden altar, the quality we need to have 
so the priest would once a year approach uh, the, the golden altar and so we need to be within this year of the redeemed continuously and it is also the year of vengeance where the Lord will punish the wicked and reward the righteous and so that was the first the second purpose of the cleansing blood of the sacrifice applied upon the horns of the golden altar of incense consists in cleansing us from such in nature of sin when we being the anointed by God priest sin before God and make the nation guilty for which we carry responsibility before God Leviticus 4 3 through 7 <clears throat> if the anointed priest sins bringing guilt on the people then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned a young bull without blemish as a sin offering he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary and the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord which is in the tabernacle of meeting and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting Leviticus 4 3 through 7 in the given situation we see the purpose of the cleansing blood of the sacrifice for sin simultaneously with the two altars the bronze and golden altars at the same time the offering itself was burned on the fire of the bronze altar of burnt offerings the order of bringing in the cleansing blood of the sacrifice before the Lord into the tabernacle of meeting consisted in the priest dipping his finger into the blood of the sacrifice, the confessions of our mouth, or the confessions of the mouth of a warrior in prayer. And so this is the priest dipping his finger into the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkling with his finger seven times before the veil of the temple. And only after he applied the cleansing blood of the offering upon the horns of the golden altar of incense, and the remaining blood of the offering was poured out underfoot of the bronze altar of burnt offering. We conclude that the cleansing blood of the sacrifice with which the priest sprinkled seven times before the Lord before the veil of the temple first quenched the hunger and thirst of God and only after was applied upon the golden horns of the golden altar of incense into which we have built ourselves so that we can quench our hunger and our thirst for God. And so two purposes here. When we confess the word of God, this is uh, in the form of this finger of the high priest. Not every person prays as a finger of a high priest. When we confess the faith of our heart with our mouth, we are the high priest at that moment. And as we said on Sunday, let us read the preached word. Or let's pray uh, the pre with the preached word that is given. And some people ask me, why aren't we praying just the what's written in the Bible? The scriptures say faith is from hearing. And so uh, there was a question, well, I read the, the directly from the Bible and I hear myself. But this is a little bit of something different. Faith is not from hearing. Uh, just in general, but hearing 
uh, from the person that is a messenger of God, from someone sent by God. And so when I memorize places of scripture, we will uh, continue to remain at the bronze altar. But to enter into the holy place, we need to pray the word of God, but not what we've read in the Bible, but the word that I've heard in the form of the preached word from the stage. And this can be easily determined. One person prays, and he is praying, for example, poetry, attractive uh, words. He prays poetry that he has memorized, and this is not, uh, and this is often uh, in a form of arrogance. But when a person prays the preached word, this also always has the element of humility because he's not presenting his own revelations, but the revelations he received from God's anointed. And we need to pass it on from ourselves in, the for, in a humble way, in humility, um, not just speaking attractive phrases before God, because there's no humility in that. And so when you pray from the position of a student with a gentle mouth, and so that's why I said, let us pray uh, the, the words we hear, the preached word that we hear and learn. And so this uh, prayer of words that we hear from the stage, they form a proper atmosphere that allows us to uh, come or be at the golden altar. We ask the question, what nature of sin can an anointed by God priest commit? being our new person to make the nation living within our body guilty in the format of our thoughts and our desires. And what functions of our heart are called to collaborate with the functions of our mind renewed by the spirit of our mind called to cleanse us over the horns of the golden altar of incense from sin that has come to us from an external source so that we can be cleansed from it. And so a person anointed by God Even if he sins, the sin is not a sin from his heart. This is a sin that came from something external or out of him. We need to consider that an anointed priest in the form of our spiritual man is righteous before God. But, and so even if the scriptures say the righteous will fall seven times, he rises again. But the wicked falls again and he departs from the church. And so our spirit is always righteous before God, our anointed priest, and this is exclusively within Jesus Christ, and in nature is not able to sin or commit sins coming from his heart, as it is written, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me, he has attended to the voice of my prayer, blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me, Psalm 66, 18 through 20. The sin that David, who represents our new person in the form of an anointed priest, sinned did not come from his heart, but came from something external. And as soon as David was corrected in his sin by prophet Nathan, he performed a cleansing offering for sin over the horns of the golden altar, and God cleansed him of his sins. Let's read this, Second uh, Samuel 12, 13 and 14. So David said to Nathan, when Nathan uh, corrected him, when he talked to him about Bathsheba, uh, the wife of Uriah. And so David said to, to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, 
The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. 2 Samuel 12, 13, 14. This is that nature of sin, which does not come from our heart, but comes from out of our heart, which we as anointed priests are able to sin, and by sinning make our nation guilty living in our body. Understandably, to define the nature of sin coming to us from outside, it is, is to be done by our reaction to the committed sins. Again, how do you determine when you sin? Uh, how do you determine whether the sin came from outside, from something external, from your heart? It is determined by or defined by how we react to it. <clears throat> it's And so it's important to determine how a person uh, reacts to to what has been done. And so sin, uh, and so it's not always a, possible to quickly or more easily determine that in other people. If we judge ourselves in our conscience and repent in our sins before God, then this means that the sin that you committed is a stranger as it did not come from your heart. If a person has sinned, but instead of leaving their sins and repenting in their sins, they hide them and legalize them, then this means that the sin has come from his heart, a heart not cleansed from dead works, to serve the living and true God. This thought is well reflected in one of the Proverbs of King Solomon. Proverbs 24, 15, 16. Do not lie in wait, a wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall, fall by calamity. <clears throat> and so, how, where does wickedness start? It starts from the heart. How does devil put a thought into the heart? <clears throat> We are born with a sinful program. And so dead works within our conscience, and if they're not, we're not cleansed of them, we're born all with a dirty conscience. Then this is a perfect area or atmosphere for sin coming from our heart. And so if we have not cleansed, again, our conscience from dead works, sin can be even in evangelism and uh, trying to make himself popular or famous and have great satisfaction when he's calling many people. Why? Because he thinks with this, he receives salvation and that salvation is already given to him. And he's mistaken. Why? Because he is not taught. Before God sends a person, he needs to see himself, God, in this person. The Lord Jesus Christ, until he was 30 years old, Uh, did not go out to service only when the father saw in him himself uh, when he was ready he was already in the status of a king priest and prophet in the spirit he allowed him to go out and so if the Lord doesn't see his reflection within our heart within us then he will never send this person and this is how Apostle John by the given to him from God wisdom identifies the nature of sin that has come to man but not from his heart Again, we sin, but the sin is not something that came from our heart. It's very important where we have a body where the law of sin and death lives. 
this is where the stranger comes uh, for thoughts, ideas. But when a person is evangelizing but completely contradicting the truth, then this is sin coming from the heart. A, a contrast parallel being shown here. And so how can you, you may ask, compare evangelism with uh, sins that are carnal or, or of the flesh? And so when a person wants to make himself popular as Lucifer did, famous, then uh, this is definitely from uh, from the heart sins. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has... And so what sin? The sin that comes from an uncleansed conscience. He who sins is sins that come from the heart is of the devil, because first the devil sinned. The devil sinned in his heart. He didn't do it uh, in any in some other way. He did it in his heart. He who sins is of the devil. Sins that coming from the heart, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. First purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did he kill him? Because the Lord did not receive his offering, Cain's offering, and in his heart he had jealousy. Jealousy that then overgrew into hatred, and hatred that turned into murder. You see where it all begins. Jealousy finds its place only in a heart of a person. This is a natural sin. According to the given place, we conclude that man abiding in Christ Jesus is not able to sin or does sin with sins coming from his heart. Because sin coming from the heart is sin to death. Sin that comes from an external source, not from his heart, is sin that is not to death. 1 John 5.17-21 All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. It's talking about the second death, the eternal death, separation from God eternally. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, cleansed our conscience from dead works, that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Children, keep yourself from disobedience of the preached word. And it ends with Amen. 1 John 5, 17-21. John described how uh, sin is born to death. This is 
sin that is born in the heart, a heart that is not cleansed from dead works. And how do you cleanse your heart from dead works? When your personal intellect does not have authority, when or their authority is not someone who is a messenger of God, then of course their conscience will not be cleansed. They will instead, uh, their their dirty conscience will will actually support them in more service to God, and so and push you in all your potential to do things. You need to uh, pass all of the potential and desire through the death of the cross, and what comes from us, from our body, desires, we can repent uh, in those and the Lord will forgive us those sins. Next question, what functions of our heart are called to collaborate with the functions of our mind, renewed by the spirit of our mind, called to cleanse us over the horns of the golden altar of incense from sin that has come to us from outside of us to cleanse us from it. And so there's a whole series of function functions how were you to bring an offering to cleanse yourself from sins that came from something outside of you? A very unique example is given to us. <clears throat> if the high priest sins, because the, the Lord says, let's start from the priest, if the high priest sins. Of course, if there are strangers there, what kind of offering needs to be brought to remove the sin, not from our soul, but from our spirit? <clears throat> our spirit is in need of this uh, cleansing, sprinkling. And so if you remember David, when he sinned, how did he sin? When they needed to go out to war and he needed to go out, he remained at home. And when he remained at home, he saw a woman bathing from his window and he asked about her who she was. And they explained to her she's Bathsheba, she's the wife of Uriah. And they brought her to him and he lay with her and he found out then that she was pregnant. And he immediately sent a letter to one of the captains uh, to to bring Uriah to him. Uriah is the renewed mind who came to the new person and bowed before him. The soul in the form of Bathsheba received the promise. But where was the sin? When we receive a promise, but our, our soul is married to our renewed mind with Uriah you can become a legitimate husband of Bathsheba but Uriah is, is still present and he needs to be passed through through the process of death <clears throat> and so he tells Uriah go home with your wife and, and be with her but he refused to go home, and he slept in the courtyard uh, before the, the the house of the king. And so he, he then makes him a banquet the next day. He gave him food and drink, and he told him, go and be with your wife at home. So he the sin not be revealed. And he said, how is it that I'm going to go sleep at home? 
Israel, Judah, the Ark. Um, I'm going to be at home, and and all and the the soldiers are are in in battle, and so he refused to go home. He wanted to remain again before the courts of the king. And so then this letter uh, was sent to his captain so that he be put in a dangerous position, place so that he be killed. A renewed mind would be killed. He said, place him in the location where there will be the most uh, difficult, uh, the battle will be very difficult or, or serious and step away from him so that they put him in a, in a, in a very risky place. And the enemy, of course, were pursuing them, and they killed uh, Uriah. And then the message was sent to to David that there was a small attack, and 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 these people died. Uriah died. And when the Lord saw this, he said, "Nathan, go and correct David." And when he came and corrected David, and and, and he told him, if you remember the the story of the uh, the the poor man with the sheep, <clears throat> that he then revealed to him that that the oppressor and the one who was taking of the poor was David, and and so he then uh, Nathan did tell him that the Lord did forgive your sins, and so the infant then died. And David prayed. He tried to uh, resurrect this promise, but the child died uh, in the in the seventh day after its birth. After which he became joyful. He then got to got he he knew his wife again, and he then uh, they conceived then uh, Solomon. And so how pa our pastor beautifully shows the collaboration of our spirit with our soul. And so although our spirit, as David, needs to give the power of the word about the promise, it needs to be passed on to the soul, Bathsheba, but he can't give it to her. Or giving it to her, he needs to understand that she has a husband, Uriah. We need to demonstrate before the Lord, Lord, I have a renewed mind. This is some one thing we can't ignore. It is the husband of my wife, my my soul. The spirit received the revelation and said, "Lord, may it be according to your word. Everything that the pastor is saying, let it be mine." And our spirit accepts it and has and it's and you've been filled with this word, with this power. And now the Lord says. It is necessary that the soul become in complete dependence of our, of our David, and so our mind, mind needs to pass through death. It needs to confirm our anointing as priests, and so when we experience even in cases where to have. Bathsheba and to have Uriah David needed to present his uh, soul in first in the form of Abigail if you remember 
and the story of Nabal, there's a whole situation there that happened before. And if you remember, Nabal, he he began to uh, speak ill of David and speak uh, lots of very harsh and terrible, rough things against him. And David said, he vowed that that he would destroy everybody that was in 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 Nabal's presence. And when Abigail found out uh, about these things, and she knew that David was a a warrior, that he 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 is capable of 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 battles, uh, she herself came to him, and she honored him, the new person. The soul honored the new person, and when she honored him, then the new person canceled out this verdict. She then went back to Nabal, and Nabal had a royal banquet. He he, he had, and as soon as the intellect became sober, she confessed what she had done to him, and the heart of Nabal became uh, stopped. In ten day, I, I think ten days after that, he died. Um, and David took Abigail as his wife, and when he took Abigail as his wife, he uh, loses then uh, Michal, whom uh, Saul gave to somebody else at that time already. Imagine how Michal uh, then passes on to Abigail, and from Abigail to Bathsheba, we first need to condemn Nabal, and by condemning Nabal, he dies. Now the soul, Abigail, transforms into Bathsheba. Bathsheba, she has Uriah, the renewed mind. This is the servant of David. And this is the state where the Lord can, in our, uh, with our soul, uh, produce the fruits of the Spirit. Abraham bore Isaac. Sarah bore Isaac. The spirit can't produce fruit without the soul. The new person can't produce fruit without the soul. But the soul needs to be this virtuous wife, as we know. And when the soul, as this virtuous wife, as we passed and, and read about in, in on the last Friday, when we have our new person, or our righteous heart, and we have our soul as this virtuous wife, then they together are able to or grow the tree of life, the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Spirit is what is born or produced with the participation of the soul. And so if the soul has not yet died, you don't need to be pushing out certain qualities, love, joy, and other things. As Sarah bore Isaac, this was the son of Abraham, but of course the soul was took part in that. Very interesting this, how these all stories are all presented, the uniqueness of it. And so the event where our renewed mind as uh, and so our, our new person as David needs to get, pass on the seed to our soul and to pass it on to our soul uh, we need our mind to be renewed, uh, Uriah, and it needs to pass through the process of death. And so the promise that the, at the door of our hope needs to die together with this Uriah, 
and this promise will then be given to us in the format of Solomon and this promise will then sit on the throne of David when we experience this or when our spirit when the revelation that has been received to this spirit uh, is passed on to the soul the soul has the uh, Uriah and so the process needs to happen to And so as pastor has explained to us in his archives uh, Bathsheba and McCall and all of these individuals all of these characters that are in these stories all these individuals they need to be present within us and uh, take part in transforming us and something is to be achieved and so first step can, uh, of of the offering when if, the, if we're talking here about again the priest sinning and the the guilt is then on the nation the first the offering needs to happen and the first step of the offering to make atonement first step consists in presenting a young bull from the livestock without blemish to the Lord as a sacrifice for sin sin that has come to us from outside in the form of a stranger for the reason that we as kings in the form of our renewed mind have refused to wage the words of God with the enemies that exist out of our body a symbol of the sacrifice presented of the livestock without blemish as an offering for sin always spoke to the rank of a person possessing either the virtue of a prince or the virtue of a priest And so, so that the dead promises would resurrect and sit on the throne, it's necessary to bring forth this offering and this this uh, bull that we're studying now. The horns of the bull without blemish as a sacrifice for sin is the symbol of the power and might in the name of God horn by the means of which God trampled sin within the body of man as well as out of the body of man and in this way cleansed a person from the sin committed that came to him as a stranger. Deuteronomy 33.17 his glory is like a firstborn bull, and his horns like the horns of the wild ox. Together with them he shall push the peoples to the end of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands, thousands of Manasseh. And so this firstborn bull that is to be demonstrated before God, presented before God, And so you say, Lord, I want my spirit to pass on this promise to my soul, but she has Uriah. And so the, the, the bull that is to be brought, this is to be in Jesus and Jesus being in us. This demonstrates the firstborn bull. Pastor talked about this, that there are two horns. Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim, uh, the fertile ground, a heart cleansed from dead works, and Manasseh, the meaning of this horn, is forgetting the memory of suffering or to forgive. A heart that is capable of forgiving is a person who has the ability to bring this bull as an offering for the sin so that our promise would resurrect, so that we receive the dead child resurrected and it could sit on the throne of the Lord 
the bull, the firstborn of, uh, this is the birthright of Christ, and uh, no offense, being freed from, from offenses. Second step consists in bringing the bull to the doors of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord and laying your hands on the head of the bull and killing the bull before the Lord. The symbol of the door of the tabernacle of meeting was the path to God through Jesus Christ in the form of his church in the status of a good wife possessing the virtue of the narrow gate. John 14:5-6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To put your hands on the head of the bull before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting means, by being a partaker or member of the door of the tabernacle of meeting, we give God the legitimate grounds upon which to move our sins upon the head of Christ. And so laying your hands upon the bull at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and the priests were present there. And so confessions are not able to receive by others, but only those that have apostleship. We have churches all over the face of the world, in different regions, different countries, and there are people that are not apostles, but represent the apostleship of Brother Akadi and he allows them to receive confession. They receive confession not because they're apostles, but because they're within God's order and they acknowledge the apostleship of our Pastor Arkady and me as well. When I receive confession, I receive them from the position of the apostle. I represent the apostleship of pastor or you, but only as a student. And so if the pastor trusts, he trusts those people that are in one spirit with him. Trust, for example, uh, receiving confessions. But if we don't have this function, we dare to do this, then uh, there's a risk for this leprosy that may break out. These are not things to uh, joke about. Isaiah 53, 4, 5, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we... He borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stri stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 4-6 He laid the sin of all of us upon him, and so by the hands of the priest, uh, you put your hands upon the head of the bull. We need to have these sins go upon Christ and then from Christ to the, upon the devil. We can come out and repent. And so by doing it, we lay our sins upon the Lord Jesus. But when we repeat after pastor his prayer, in this prayer he speaks the words of justification and justifies us. And in this justification he 
moves over these sins upon the devil and Satan. I can't just simply repent. I did a terrible thing or a sin of some kind and I just get on my knees and repent. And 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 a person convinces himself he can justify himself. No, only the righteous can justify you. If I get on my knees and I repent and I say, Lord, forgive my sins, and the Lord says, I forgive, but what's next? I can't, you can't justify yourself. Only the righteous one can justify you. And so to be justified, you need to be in a church, and the righteous one, the apostle, will speak the words, your sins are forgiven and your trespasses. Repeat after me, I am saved, I am justified, and so forth. I am saved and justified, he, he, he says. And so it's very important to bring this bull to the tabernacle of meeting, to those that are uh, the apostles or those who represent the apostleship uh, of this person in all different regions of the world. To kill or slaughter the bull before the Lord means to die through the law for the uh, through the law in the body of Christ for the law so that we be crucified with Christ and this we receive then the legitimate foundation necessary to live by faith in the Son of God which upon practice means obey your faith to God's faith. Galatians two nineteen through twenty for I through the law died died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Third step consists in the anointed priest bringing the blood of the of the bull into the tabernacle of meeting, and dipping his finger into the blood and sprinkling the blood seven times before the Lord before the veil of the temple. The symbol of the veil of the holy place, separating it from the holy of holies, is the holiness of the law presented in the body of Christ, which is destroyed for our sin, thus giving us the ability to get close to God. This veil, this curtain, it is the holiness of the Lord, the holiness of the law, that being destroyed, the body of Christ, we are then able to get close to God, that is, if we're in Christ, of course. Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, But now in Christ Jesus you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far, afar off. And so he upon the cross killed, put to death the enmity between the Old and New Testament. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 2, 13-18 Confessing the faith of God abiding within our heart in the form of the truth contained in the teaching about the cross of Christ, we present before the Lord the fullness of our redemption from the ma- manufacture of sin in the form of our old man or old person. 
<coughs> this was the third step. Fourth step consists in the anointed priest applying the blood of the bull before the Lord upon the golden horns of the golden altar of sweet incense, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. Imagine what a long process to be able to finally approach the golden horns. You need to show the presence of the bull. The presence of the bull is having these two horns, a heart cleansed from dead works and not having offenses. You need to bring it into the tabernacle of meaning before the Lord's face. You need to slaughter him. You need to uh, take the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the curtain. And now we come in before uh, the golden horns and applying the blood of the bull before the Lord upon the golden horns of the golden altar of incense. Applying the blood of the bull before the Lord upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense indicates the might of the achieved by God redemption from the sinful conduct passed on to us from our fathers purposed for us still before the creation of the world so that we have faith and trust upon him. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. First Peter one eighteen through twenty one. At the bronze altar you also deny the old your your sinful conduct or the, that has been passed on to you now you need to take this blood and confirm this rejection and your dedication to God at the golden altar you need to continue it further <clears throat> sprinkle this blood to confirm confessing the faith the word uh, that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ from the sinful conduct aimless conduct of our fathers we have rejected this at the uh, bronze altar and we confirm it at the golden altar sprinkling the same blood of Jesus Christ we thank God we say Lord thank you that you have redeemed me from the sinful uh, genetic code or life passed on to me from our my fathers fifth step consists in the anointed priest taking the remaining blood of the bull and pouring it under under foot of the bronze altar of burnt offering which is at the entry of the tabernacle of meeting after he sprinkled with blood, uh, he applied the blood upon the horns and the remaining blood he needed to pour out at the foot or base of the uh, bronze altar. Very important part. Again, you need to go back to the bronze altar and meaning you need to go to the root or look to the root the blood of the sacrificed bull poured underfoot of the bronze altar of burnt offering in volume greatly surpassed the quantity of blood used to sprinkle seven times before the veil and also the quantity of blood of the that was applied upon the four golden horns of the golden altar of incense it symbolizes the foundation of zion this blood of the sacrifice poured out symbolizes the foundation of this of zion and his gates upon the mountains of mountain of, of his saints. The blood of the sacrifice bull poured underfoot of the bronze altar of burnt offering. And so you go back to the very foundation where all things began. Psalm 87, 1 through 7. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. 
glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia, this one was born there. And of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. It's talking about the promises that are born at the door of our hope. It's not just someone in abstract uh, terms. Collaborating with your horn, with his horn and might to be able to have this happen in our body. And so where it says that this one and that one was born in her. And so he, uh, these are the promises. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Both the singer and the players on instruments say all my sp- springs are in you. Psalm 87, 1 through 7. Our time is now up. A very interesting uh, identification of the blood and the blood that was poured out uh, at the base or, or foot of the bronze altar. This means we need to thank God continuously of who He is for us, what He's done for us, who we are to Him, and what do we need to do to inherit all that God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ and the 24 elders and the four living creatures they put their crowns to the floor and they say you have redeemed us from all nations and peoples and so all the blood is uh, poured into the root to anoint us as priest is not much is needed but to confirm you need to continuously thank Christ Christ is the root of all Christ is our victory without him no dedication will function or work let us uh, pray and thank God Heavenly Father we thank you for the word that we have heard we thank you for your son Jesus Christ and today we pour the blood of Jesus Christ at the base of your bronze altar and the base is righteousness and judgment we thank you for this base or this Zion where it's stated that some, someone is born in Zion, born and confirmed their dedication. We thank you that today we can confirm our dedication being at the golden altar of incense. Today we sprinkle with our mouth we apply with our finger, we collaborate with the power of your horn, with your might and your strength, with the fruit of our spirit that we have grown in our body. We thank you that you allow us to collaborate with you and with your might and with your strength, that you allow us to not just dedicate ourselves to you as priests, but allow us also to confirm ourselves as priests, allow us to confirm ourselves as kings to bring you an offering so that the promise that has died would be able to resurrect and when we repent before you you said that your sins are uh, taken away from you thank you that we can every time come into your tabernacle and receive your deliverance we thank you for your godly order 
that we can receive not just forgiveness of sins, but also receiving this forgiveness of sins, we can uh, receive our justification together with your person, with your messenger. We thank you for him and we pray for our apostle, brother Arkady. We believe that you save your saved one, you answer from your holy heavens, and we ask that you show your sign, the adoption of our body, the healing of our bodies. By showing this sign, you can shame all your enemies and our enemies, which are we, as these enemies are mutual, yours and ours together. And so, may your great sign be within our spirit, not just our spirit, our soul, also in our bodies. And may your enemies completely be ashamed. May death be ashamed. Hell has no victory, so that death not have a, its sting, because we have agreed with your holy law and not with the law of sin and death and we have been crucified with you dying for our nation the house of our father and for our personal desires and we have cleansed our hearts from all dead and sinful works so that our heart not have any sin or there no sin be conceived there we thank you that you forgive us for the sins that come to us from outside that come because of our desires and so forth because we have the desire to do good but we don't often find the strength to do good and we in this way uh, realize that it is the old man in us and we ask that you turn all the wrath and holiness of your law against him and your might and power against all of our enemies our old man as well as the wicked and the lawless and also the devil and his angels whom you are keeping for eternal destruction and for the fiery uh, lake of fire may you confirm the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and may the stronghold of death be thrown out or thrusted out from within our body with noise and may the stronghold of life be erected in our body the resurrection of life Thank you for the resurrection of life. We confess this with our mouth and we continue to uh, apply with our finger this blood upon the horns, confirming our dedication before you. We wait for your revelations and the truth that you will pass on to us uh, from your anointed one on Sunday. We will, with reverence and trembling, receive the words and clothe ourselves into the power of your mighty words. We thank you that the Holy Spirit can be found in, in the presence of your word and he makes this word alive within our heart. May your name be blessed, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us finish with our manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory 
with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 